My name is Lance, and I'm Billy's longest-running Patreon supporter. I found him first through Reddit, and when he started, he wasn't taking any ads or donations, but I enjoyed his content. Now that he's five years into the game, I'm happy to say that I started because I liked what he was putting out there, with original content, funny, and he's talking about things that I like. Over the years, it's made me happy to see his Patreon and fan base grow, and I hope that everyone out there takes a moment to spare and contributes to Billy's Patreon, because independent content is what makes things get better in the world, and Billy is one of those people contributing. Whether it be something interesting or funny that he includes in his show every week, I enjoy the show and know that I'm supporting that, and I hope you would too. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all the Beliebers and Cumber Bitches, Swifties and Cheerios, Little Monsters and Chalamaniacs. I think Fan Whores and Whoreheads sounds way cooler, but hey, this is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Those of you who follow me on social media recently know that I was shadow banned on Instagram last week. Or maybe you don't, uh, because, comma, algorithms... It's kind of the entire point of this little rant uh, is that even you, those of you who follow me maybe had no idea. But yes, I was shadow banned for a week. Uh, it was lifted on Monday, it seems, but a lot of other sex talkers and positive movement influencers are still being hidden by Insta. What's a shadow ban? That's a great question. Shadow banning is a practice many social media platforms use to suppress users and content they don't like on their platforms who are technically within the community standards. Like, if you typed in last week, Billy Presida, I did not show up. Searching Billy Presida just yielded you my father, who's just an old guy in a suit with Bell's palsy, so not me. You had to type my entire handle, which is at Billy is Presida. Take a moment to go follow it. Are you are you trying to follow it right now? Are you not? That's the problem, people. Okay. But you had... Mm. But you had to type my entire handle, C-I-D-A, for me to pop up. And that makes it impossible for someone to search and discover me or accounts like me. Shadow banning also eliminates you from Instagram's explore page and from hashtag pages, something many accounts rely on to grow their audiences. It basically limits your exposure to just those who follow you. And even then, the algorithm prevents you from even reaching all of your people. It's pretty sinister. Uh, because it lets you stay on the platform, but makes you essentially invisible. Kind of like going to a sex party with a cold sore. Like, yeah, you're there, but you can't do much. This doesn't count, by the way, you know, frivolous post removals or Facebook limiting a page's exposure so you'll pay money to boost a post. You know, that affects all business pages. But when it comes to shadow banning, sex workers, sex educators, women of color, queer folks, and people who just want to talk about their bleeding pussies are disproportionately affected. Meanwhile, many of these same platforms hesitate to ban literal Nazis. Yes, practices like this affect funny people like me, and I'm back in work in order for now, but many other professional sex talkers are still being hidden by Instagram. The chick I'm dating right now is a, a body positive model influencer type with tens of thousands of followers. No big deal. Um, 
But and she is still shadow banned. We were both shadow banned the same week. I'm back. She's not. She doesn't do porn or BBW. She's just a hot fat chick. How dare she exist? Sometimes her and other plus size accounts get things taken down for nudity where there is none. And why is that? Because apparently one of Instagram's bots detects exposed skin to help flag nudity and pornography. Well, when a uh, when a fat chick wears a bikini, there's literally more skin exposed than when a size four wears that same bikini. So plus size chicks will get stuff flagged for nudity just because they're too big to be sexy. And there are a lot of other examples like that. And if we weren't so terrified of sex as a society, there'd be no need for a fucking nudity detector bot, but whatever. Shadow bans stress the importance of audience engagement. I know it seems strange asking for something from people who follow you to get something. But being shadow banned means Instagram is stifling the growth of the accounts you adore. So share posts in your stories or reblog them or retweet on Twitter. People like this week's guest, Sham Boudram, a sex and dating YouTuber, were once making dope content with a small following. Algorithms alone isn't what gets people following you and subscribing. People get curious when they see a bunch of their friends sharing a show. Like, you didn't try Riverdale right away. None of us tried, well, very few of us tried Riverdale right away. But then Riverdale went on Netflix, a couple of your friends binged it and started posting about how, like, awesome but not great but yet still amazing that show is. And, and look, now you're Team Veronica. Share it on your social channels where your friends can instantly click and see what all the hype is about. That's when that comedian or educator or musician or podcaster or artist is able to actually grow. There's no senator to call here. Okay, we're not boycotting Instagram. I'm telling you what you have the power to do. Gas up creators you love. Gas them up. Actually tell your networks about it through a post. Not just trying to cherry pick which friends you should secretly expose this to. Like, if you love that content, when you want as many people you know to find it too? Can't afford to join my Patreon community? Hey, that's okay. But then you got to go retweet me, talk about me in your stories, steal a friend's phone to subscribe them to the show, and leave a five-star ring because, hey, working for free is fucking tough, and all those actions cost you zero dollars. Shout out to those of you who stepped up for me last week. It's much appreciated. I'll try to keep my Insta thirst traps to a minimum so I can hopefully avoid getting flagged. Because, you know, I got a lot of extra skin to show. <laughs> Oy vey. Uh, hey, by the way, if you want to ever send me an email with your comments, your questions, your booby pictures, you can send that over to manhorpod at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, before we get to this week's guest, Shan Booty. Let's do the fan horror appreciation moment. Okay. This is the part of the podcast where I give a shout out to some of the members of my fan horror community on Patreon. Patreon truly is the best way to support the man horror podcast because it's a way of you hashtag paying for your content. Keeps a roof over my head, condoms on my cock, and allows me the freedom to do this full time for you to create even more and more content. There is a, a road trip happening probably in early next year and if i had to have like some sort of day job i wouldn't be able to do what i was gonna do for that road trip for you but it's because of my members uh that that is able to happen and uh, you'll get more information on uh what i've got in store for you in the coming months 
But I want to give a thank you right now to Ian BK Brooklyn in the house. What's up, dude? Maybe you'll make it out to the, the Sex Expo this weekend. Thank you for your support. I want to give a thank you to Vlad D. Impaler. I have a, a feeling that's not his real name. But I did get to have a little phone call chat with this guy, a fun poly kinky weirdo in the Pacific Northwest, man. Uh, you're doing good things. Thanks for bumping up your pledge to join us in the peep show. And uh, and I want to give a shout out to Kayla Warner. Uh, if you need a good, if you want some sex toy reviews, she's got a bunch of those over at pinkspacelime.com. Pink Space Lime. Or Pink's Pace Lime. Or pinkspacelime.com. Really, however you want to pronounce it. But there's some sex toy reviews over there. But you too can join our fan whore community for as little as $2 per month. All you have to do to become a member is go to patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. And now it's time for Sham Booty. Um, so Shan has a, a very popular YouTube page about sexuality and dating and love and relationships. And so I, uh, I, I, I reached out to chat with her when I was going out to Los Angeles recently. We had... Such a fun chat. Um, she's really into <laughs> personality quizzes, which I still think is a little silly. But yo, if it works for you, it works for you. <laughs> but she's really cool. She is a wealth of information. I love how much of a book nerd she is. I love me book nerds. Uh, if, if you follow me on social, you've probably seen my bedroom. And I'm just like books all over the place. And they're books that I've read you know, I, I hate it when people have like a full bookshelf of books that they don't actually read. It's like you didn't earn those fucking trophies. Unread books in a bookshelf are the participation trophies of books. Anyway, she's got a book of her own out right now. It's called The Game of Desire. You can find more information about that at thegameofdesire.com. But for now, let's hear me and my chat with Shan Booty. You know what I'm curious about? When is... You know how sometimes when you're sick, your voice is sexier? When does that happen? Because now I feel like I'm nasally. Like, I'm like, is this? I'm not at this zone yet. You're not there yet. No, no, But when is it sexy? Because colds don't sound good. And the flu. Maybe the flu is sexy? Is it that, like, it doesn't sound good or it doesn't feel good? Because I feel like it can feel good. A little closer. A little closer. I feel bad for whoever's going to use this next. (laughs) All of my germs are all up over this. Oh, gosh. There's like, what, 200 something, guess, uh, germs up on this. I feel like we're we're all sharing together. So I'm probably getting something from this. Oh, yeah. What is the man whore podcast? Uh, No. (laughs) Well, now that you've uh, you've explicitly be like feeling a little sickish, I'd be like, or, or not I'm just not feeling. feeling a little sick. <laughs> I, I'm definitely <laughs> motherfucking contagious and ill and oozing. That is 100% a fact. I'm going to go take a fucking uh, <laughs> an antibacterial shower after this. Yeah. There's a... You'll be okay. You're far. <laughs> oh, I am like I? This is actually capturing all of the airborne. Yeah. I think that this is protecting you. Good. Because I got a play party on Saturday I would like to go to. Should, I would like not attend. to wake uh, that's that's a heartbreaking feeling. I don't know if you go if you ever you go to play parties or anything like that, but waking up the morning of and realizing you're sick oh. is a heartbreaking feeling because you wait all week. You eroticize what you're going to do. You found out this person's going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. Oh, can we do a scene? Oh, that's great. Like this Saturday's like hot for teacher, and there's an actual high school teacher who has a crush on me, who's like forty something, 
and she wants to and she's going to be there as like a teacher dressed up. I was like, oh, we got it. I need some tutoring. I've, I'm just a, I'm a struggling student. Can you help me out? And she's like, yeah, just make sure you go to the third floor. I'll be there. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I would hate to wake up sick no, and knock yeah, it. I mm. would ruin this shit for you. I definitely <laughs> will destroy this fantasy. So let's just keep the mic condom really close to my face and have a nice, pleasant, healthy chat. A pleasant, healthy chat with the sexologist herself, Shan Booty. Shan Booty. Shan Booty. Shan Booty uh, in a building. Sexologist, uh, uh, the author of the your new book, The Game of Desire. You guys can't see this, but Billy is gesturing to a massively narcissistic bookshelf. That I'm glad is you said it. Good. With my books. <laughs> I was like, oh man, uh, that is just, it's a lot of you. Yeah. And then, but then there's also, but you do have like, Yates gets to make the bookshelf, but he's way at the bottom. Well, there's other books over there in that cardboard box that will be replaced. I actually got donated these books because I'm doing a big ass book club. Right. And so this company was like, oh, we'll help provide books and where people can read it. And so I'll be giving these away in the next two days. But for now, they're just here making me look like I masturbate to books of myself. <laughs> well, it's got to be difficult to date. So you, your, your marriage is open right now? Or? Yeah. Well, we're, yes, or- we call our relationship free. Free. A free relationship. And we just adopted that as a result of enough open people saying you guys are not technically open. So I'm like, okay. Um, Why do they say you're not technically open? Because we're – our relationship, essentially the only rule is communication. Mm. My partner is allowed to do as they please and I am allowed to. I am the master of my own domain. I decide mm. what I do with my body, who I flirt with, who I talk to. And so we consider ourselves more consulting partners and supervisors. That to be said – it's not even a matter of because we are married. Um, I've been in California for five years, com- coming up on six years in six months. And I've, my, my partner is my only sexual partner. Mm. So it's not as if, oh, look at you. You sick already. No, <laughs> no I saw that little cough. Teacher, I hope you're listening. Um, that's not to say that because I am married, I am not having sex with others. I just think that naturally I, love flirting i love connecting and if you went through my dms you'd probably see a Mm -hmm. bunch of messages that a married woman shouldn't be sending but that isn't to say i'm actually physically engaging with others and so we don't say open i guess because we're not necessarily currently don't let the fucking open poly pocket people tell you what you are or i mean labels are just it's whatever i mean it's just we're open to being open but we're just free in a sense of hey we'll figure it out you're at the promise ring uh status yeah phase of it all well i would say like dating or flirting or whatever i gotta imagine like if you were to be out um enjoying your your freedom with that it's like you have to be good at dating then, no? You've got the book. Like someone's gonna be like, Oh, she got a book, she's gonna be a great communicator, this, that, and the other thing, but I'm I'm sure you're still like a flawed human, like the rest of us. No, I'm pretty great at this. Oh, you're I'm flawed <laughs> in many areas. Cooking, um, organizational skills. So uh, I would say like people skills and confrontation. That's an area that I'm definitely trying to master. Um, and like some of my own humanity. But I understand how to connect with people to a science Mm. so that's one area i've practiced i'm nba level dating and flirting (laughs) and seducing that's for sure many other areas in life definitely novice wait what do you mean by you want to explore confrontation or get better at confrontation um i i am naturally i know if you're familiar with the big five personality assessment uh i i know you're really into personality quizzes i am not okay (laughs) so i have not taken them um, I hope to take one a little bit later, maybe with you. Possibly. Well, can you write down Big Five okay, for yourself? It's Big my favorite. Five personality. Purse. Yeah, Big Five purse. 
Um, that sounds like Birkin, Chanel, is that the, Chloe. <laughs> is that the one that gives you like the, the four letters or something? No, that's Myers-Briggs. Oh, Myers-Briggs. Oh. Yeah. So big five, essentially. <laughs> so it's many quizzes. Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion versus introversion, mm. agreeableness versus disagreeableness, and neuroticism versus emotionally stable. Okay. So doing this quiz will essentially map out what your personality strengths and weaknesses are. Mm. And so being agreeable is a weakness of mine. And As in you are agreeable. I am disagreeable. Oh. So disagreeable people are necessary because they create inventions. A disagreeable person says this could be better. Yeah. But in a romantic relationship, a disagreeable person is actually... An asshole? An asshole. <laughs> make things harder. Yeah. Um, take longer to apologize. Take longer to admit their faults. And so I grew up, every teacher I've ever had hated my guts. Um, so I have a natural disagreeable personality. Yeah. I don't really make allies easily, which is why I wrote this book because I need the help. Yeah. So that's an area that like, even as hard as I try, it still creeps in and destroys things once in a while. So you want to learn how to be more polite at parties. It's not even like just less, like more like let it go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to get every single pickle on my Subway sandwich. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to create an argument with every – every time I get in an airplane, I'll get into an argument with somebody who pushed my bag. You know what I mean? Like it's just mm -hmm. like the let it slide element I have to get better at. See, me, like I'm trying – I need to get better at that too. But also a lot of times those arguments, um, they happen and they happen out loud um, to another person, uh, but the person's never there. Uh, oh. I, I get into arguments <laughs> alone in my car, yes. in my bedroom. Just I'm in a full – I'll do both sides of the thing. And they're they're a real person. It's a real thing that happened, but I'm not having an argument with so them. So you're non-confrontational. Oh, I'm trying. Uh, I'm too confrontational, and I'm trying to be a little less so. But now I need to also be a little more agreeable, so I don't also do that to myself. But you're non-confrontational when it, when it counts. So you're not you are confrontational alone in your bedroom, but <laughs> in the world you're gonna let things slide a lot. Depends. Uh, or I, a lot of times I'll continue an argument. Like I did a podcast called The Great Love Debate on Friday. Yeah. And like, you know, we got into it. And then when I was in the car, like I continued the fight. <laughs> I continued. I was like, oh, man, I could have made this point. I could have done that. Oh, that's normal. <laughs> but at least in the moment you showed up for yourself and you asserted your opinion. Yeah. It's like a balance. <laughs> the thing with, with the big five, there's a balance to yeah. everything. There's no right or wrong way to be like emotionally stable versus neurotic. There is something like when someone is avoidant. In its essence, they're so detached yeah. from their emotions that they don't allow anything to affect them. A neurotic person is constantly at the whim of what the world is giving them and which puts them on this up and down roller coaster ride of feelings. And so there is a, a little bit of a balance. And so being disagreeable is good in yeah. doses. Um, but agreeableness is the number one trait which determines someone's ability to have success in a long term relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you know where your disagree uh, disagreeableness comes from, though? I honestly, Personally. I think it's a mix of nature versus nurture. Um, I think that I just came out. My mom always tells a story from when I was a kid being like, they're standing in my shoe. And she's like, okay, we'll be home in a second. I'm like, nah, they're standing in my shoe right now. And she's like, okay, just give it five minutes. And then she'll come back to the back of the car and there's sand dumped all over the ground. I'm like, there was sand in my shoe. I didn't want it in there. Right. So I just think I naturally just had to like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do and not consider other people. I think that was built into my personality and it wasn't corrected necessarily. Uh. So I just grew up being a bully in school, making, you know, making problems with everybody, every teacher, like, there was an issue. And then when I got older, I was like, there must be a better way to live. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's very tiring. Like, arguing and, and part of it is like this desire to be right sometimes and uh it's very different i imagine you're right very often no, no? i'm getting better at being wrong i think like oh they, no no i mean just like actually like objectively if someone was watching like in these are like you're usually actually right whether or not 
It's uh, fun. I think or- me saying this or agreeing <laughs> to what you're saying makes me a dick. So I, well, I'm going to say no, I'm but gonna, I'm going to wink at you. Sure. Don't worry. I'll, well, I'll say this. I'm usually right. I don't look good when I am, but I am. Mm. And uh, that's apparently not a very fun thing to interact with. And I'm trying to figure out which ones to let go and like when to let people be wrong. But it's very difficult when, when you're not right like yourself, but winking and, and right uh, like me. <laughs> yes. But I've also kind of come to the middle space too, where in like, what is right and wrong? I don't mm. believe in good or bad. I believe, I don't believe there's bad people. I don't, Somebody asked me the other day, who would you throw cold spaghetti at? Because you hate them so much. Okay. I was like, I don't really hate anybody. I really don't. I think everybody has the same base motivational intentions. A book that, oh, it, it got moved from the bookshelf. Uh, but it should <laughs> be there. You had to make room for another one of, uh, one another of copy books. of The Game of Desire. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Laws of Human Nature mm. by Robert Greene is a book I read. It came out this year. I loved it. Mm. And in it, he's like, there is no group. There is no polyamorous or black or white or Democrat versus Republican. What we have the only group that matters is the human race mm. and the more that you can start to really see and understand that that we are so much more the same than we are different the easier life gets and so that's the goal that i'm at i'm trying less to decide who i am better than or different than or making distinctions between the way that you live versus i live mm. and looking more for the commonality amongst all of us yeah but when like when you are having those arguments and when you are disagreeing it's one thing when it's like the person like uh, at the airport who bumped your bag. It's another one's like a significant other because there's there becomes this thing where you're like, oh, now we got to have compromise and you have to compromise those times when you're going to let something go and not. But I come from a place of like I love difficult conversations, not because I want to argue. Well, it's that I find that we grow through difficult conversations. Yes, that's that's been my philosophy. I went to some weird boarding school where like I was raised to like, oh, we talk about our feelings. We have, you know, uncomfortable conversations. And then I went into the real world and they didn't tell me that the rest of the world don't think that way. Uh, so when I'm dating, it's, they're like, why are we talking about this right now? I was like, well, we need to talk about to grow. I feel yes. like we, why, why, why not confront it now? Let's, I mean, sorry. Uh, yeah. Like why not confront it now? I don't want to like let stew. Oh. I also just enjoy that. I mean, I live by the quote, the unexamined life is not worth living. I mm. love asking for the why and actually in a partner that's where me and my partner were fuck buddies first like that Mm -hmm. was our initial foray into partnership and the second tier of our intimacy building was both of our shared desire to ask questions and to examine things whereas and i think i had a partner previous to him who was just like you love debating you just like love arguing like you always like talking about shit like i don't want to argue with you i'm like i'm not arguing i'm just questioning yeah. And I like to question innocuous things because the unexamined life to me is not worth living, which is an Aristotle quote, I believe. So so what have you been finding uh is your confrontational personality works well with with the husband now? Yeah, I mean he's incredible. But I did mean, that have to like did that have to adjust at some point? Like did he have to adjust to that personality or was he kind of already also like that? I think that he benefited from meeting me at a very great time in my life where I really started to assess how I was in the driver's seat of my downfalls mm-hmm. and my upswings. You know, I started to really analyze less about how this person is impacting the relationship dynamic and more how I'm in control. So I think that one of my greatest things I've learned probably in the past five years is the power of shut the fuck up. You know, like I think that I'm constantly wanting to say what I'm thinking. And a lot of times, even when I employ the power of shut the fuck up, I will find that five minutes later, that thing that I was going to say actually ends up coming to fruition. Mm. They just took a different route that I thought. And so I think before I would be constantly compelled to micromanage or to assert my opinion or to make a criticism. Whereas and now I'm like, just 
ride it out. Let them do this yeah. the wrong way or their way and see where it ends up. And I'm often pleasantly surprised. So I think that he benefits from that. But he's also really incredible at conflict resolution. Like I've never met anyone before who's as good as him. So I think that he's the perfect teacher for me in many ways in an area that I definitely needed to be schooled on. Yeah, that is such an important important skill like in relationships that i lack that i don't know how to because i just i tend to escalate escalate because i'm like oh no we're 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 gonna argue till someone comes out of this um and i'm just realizing i need to really i, I really want to learn conflict resolution to figure out how i can you should marry my husband uh, be, yeah you know, just date him for a while get yeah. pick up some tips is he cool tools? with like an asexual uh you know uh, what do they call them zucchinis queer platonic friendships or something Ah, oh, that's one of those fake terms that came Bromance? out years ago. Bromance. Sure. I'm down. Yeah, if yes. you can teach me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> He's probably, yes, probably able to agree to be hands off, but wouldn't also be comfortable living with a man. So, yeah, I think that would work out. Sure. Uh, wh- where do you see the conflict resolution skills come into y'all's relationship? I think that he has a real great focus, and I want you to write down another quiz for me. <laughs> this is the apology languages quiz. I did hear about that. I was like, oh, I need to learn that one. Yeah, this was actually created by Gary Chapman, same guy who did love languages. And what's really great about it is that to me, it's like the secret key for how we can get past the pain. Mm. Because when we can get past the pain of the discussion, we can actually get to the productive side of it. Right. And you can't do that until you have fully acknowledged in a way the other person can understand where you've made a left turn, where you've actually been wrong. So the apology languages element I think is really important that it's just a matter of discussing preferences and mm. what you like versus what I like and how we can compromise for a healthier future. Well, then how did you guys learn your apology languages before you took that quiz? I think we didn't. We've always been. But what's great about him is that like I've never met someone before who is so solution oriented. Mm. So he really doesn't get caught up on like, but the way you said it, like he doesn't get detoured by and I am an insulter. Um, I know where that came from. That came from my dad, but I'm an insulter. So if I get backed into a corner, I will call you a name. And he is not somebody who will take that left turn with me into like verbal He won't abuse. get nasty with you. He won't go with me. He's never called me a name in my entire life. Wow. Like never, ever, ever. So I think that he's just so focused on here's where we're trying to get versus all the curveballs that an immature person like myself can mm-hmm. often throw when they feel like they're being attacked to some capacity. Yeah, but there's got to be like a, a little bit of trial and error, like where you're figuring out like how each of y'all communicates. Or um, I like I like these things like love languages, apology languages as like the simple ways to like show like here's how I operate. There's another one I like called um, the Triforce of Communication. Oh, I should write that down for me. That's I don't know a good what that one. Is. Uh, I think that I don't know if the Multi Amory crew came up with it or what, but the idea is like <clears throat> I'm sharing a thing, and then uh, I'll be like, oh, I need right now the response I need is like a T1, a T2, a T3. Now, T1, T2, I mix up a lot. But T3 is like the solution. It's like I'm looking for like a practical, actual answer. But sometimes like I just need validation or sometimes I need like to know uh, I need shared experience response or, oh, man, yeah, that must be really rough. I've gone through that as well. Um, and that because like I've got a, someone I'm dating right now. Really like her. Sometimes I just need to vent. I'm like, all I want to do is I want to just spur all this nonsense. And I just want you to be like, oh, man, that sounds really rough. That's what I want to hear. Uh, but she'll, she's solution oriented. So she'll be like, oh, cool. Like she wants to help me solve the problem where I'm actually not looking for a solution from her. I'm just looking to vent it out. Um, and so sometimes I'll, now I know to say right before I do the venting, hi, this is what I'm going to be looking for. I'm looking for validation or I'm looking for emotional support. I'm looking for a solution and then I'll do the thing. And then she knows what it is I'm trying to hear back. Uh, and that one I like as well. Cause then. You know, we, we, a lot of times, you know, I do that too. It's like, we feel like, oh, I want to, I, you know, 
I want to fix your problem. Uh, but sometimes people just want to like hear me talk. And so, but if someone tells me, don't give me a solution, just hear me talk or give me a solution, then I know that's what you know I want to respond with. Yes. I respect that a lot. Yeah. I think that like the key to happiness is managing expectations and mm. the better we can get, sometimes managing expectations can feel very robotic because it mm. can seem inauthentic to say to somebody, here's what I'm looking for. But why not? We go to a restaurant and we do that. We manage expectations. We make it clear. We go to a bank. Every successful interaction that we have is when we have mutual reciprocity and a clear understanding of who is giving what and who is receiving. Mm-hmm. And when we leave that space, we're like, yeah, that's exactly what I asked for. And if it's not, we call it a management company. But I think that that built into relationships, like one of my favorite philosophers is Elaine de Botton. Mm-hmm. And he has this school called the School of Life. And he just talks about how crazy it is that in love, mind reading is a goal. It was just bonkers to me. Yes, it's bonkers. Yeah. And my friend actually was saying to me, she's like, I just love you and Jared. Jared's my partner's name. I love you and Jared. You guys seem to always know what the other person is thinking. It's why you get along so well. And I was like, that's a fucking lie. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am so consumed with myself. As again, the bookshelf will tell you I'm a narcissist. I am so overly consumed with yeah. me and what I'm doing. What I'm like, my humanity constantly brushes up against my partners. I constantly make mistakes or say things and I'm not thinking about how he's going to receive them. I'm just being a, a human being. And in those moments, he's like, hey, and he has to check me. He can't just assume that I'm thinking that that comment would bother him. He has to be able to clearly say like, you just crossed a line. And yeah. I can be like, oh, I didn't know. Well, what does that look like for you? Like, what's an example of that? Like, what, what, what's like a, I don't want to call them fights, but like, what's an interaction like that that y'all have had? We can have one where sometimes like I'm really thinking about some kind of problem and I go to him and he might address something with me that's bothering him. Like mm. he just sent an email to somebody else, but I'm thinking about my own problem. But the thing about it is whoever starts the conversation first, they get to own it. Right. So mm. like if you're the one who comes to me and is like, you seek me out and say, I just got this email, but I'm thinking about something for me. So I think sometimes I'm not a great listener because I'm consumed with something else. Whereas then what he needs is for me to be like, hey, I'm the one who came to you, so can I get the attention right now? And then we can address you afterwards. So I just think that being a bit more mindful of, you know, stopping my own train of thought to appease my partner if they're the one who came to me first. His apology language is accept responsibility. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, that works like a motherfucking charm. It's crazy to me sometimes. Like, he dropped me off at a podcast last week and I thought it would be an hour because all podcasts are an hour. He's like, okay, cool. I'm going to run some errands. That shit took three hours. So, and one of those. It was, was it one of the good three hours or one of those like, why is this three hours? It was a mix of both. Podcasts, because podcasts sometimes do that. They'll be like, this doesn't have to be three. Yeah, this doesn't have, it was, the podcast is called Wine and Weed. Okay. So they get drunk and high. So I assume that they... Timeliness, not the strong factor exactly. at a podcast like that. Yes. It took a while to get started. And so I got back to the car and he originally was like, you should Uber home. I'm like, it'll be an hour. Don't worry. And I couldn't communicate because I'm on the podcast. Yeah. So he's you know, in this state of like, I'm not sure. And I got back and I was like, I am so sorry. When I saw how long they were taking to set up, I should have texted you. I should have let you know. That was irresponsible of me. I didn't respect your time. Mm. I completely dropped the ball. I'm really sorry. Thank you for waiting. But mm. that shouldn't have happened. And then it was like silent. And he was like, okay. I'm like, do you want to talk about it? He's like, well, no, you accepted responsibilities with like, nothing else to say. And I was like, this could have been like a three-hour argument. Oh, that argument. could have been a huge fight. Yeah, that could have been a big fight. So, But out. you guys had to learn that. Because it's not like when you met, I mean, unless maybe this is, but when you all started dating or, or I think when you all started fucking and then maybe dating, it's like that you didn't give him the, did you have to give him the quizzes? Like you didn't know right away that that's his apology language. No. Did you have a little bit of like, oh, you thought maybe you had to do an act of service or something. And then he like, at some point, does he tell you, 
hey, this is when we have a fight. This is actually what I want to hear. Yeah, the quiz actually literally was a turning point. I think arguments used to take longer before. They might take like an hour or two to resolve, which still for me is like an Olympic record. Because I've had arguments that last days. And I think in my previous relationship, conflict was such a constant undercurrent of the relationship. But if you ever met Jay, he's a very easygoing person. So we argued less, which I already saw as a victory. Mm. But now that I know his apology language, we argue for a shorter amount of time. That isn't to say that we still don't get to talk about conflict in a healthy way. It's just it's less emotional and more constructive. So I think the apology languages have helped. Now we can get past, okay, I fucked up and more, how do we plan for a healthier future? Sure. But now you've also never, you haven't always been an NBA star uh, oh, of dating, no. right? Yes, so, no. So <laughs> what, what was like, you know, the, the 20s, those, that learning time, you know, what, to, how do you go from, uh, you know, from just being some college, you started doing your YouTube show in when you were 19? I started as a sex educator at 19. I began YouTube 2015. They let a 19 year old be. It's like no, no, I no, not I'm not, <laughs> not knocking too much, but it's like, wait, if you just started fucking, how are you teaching? Were you like the college, um, yes. like educator person? You I went would around? say it's a great point. I yeah. would say I started my education in sex at 19, and at that time, I put out. So at 19, I started working on Laid. I went to school for journalism, and so that became in journalism school. They say write what you know. If you know sports, be sure. a sports reporter. If you know entertainment, be an entertainment reporter. And I was like, I think I know fucking. Yeah, but that's the hubris of any 19-year-old, myself included, goes like, I know fucking. Yeah. I'm 19 and I got it down. But I think <laughs> I approach it from a different standpoint. I approached it like I had an awful teen sex life and there has to be better. But teen sex life is kind of supposed to be bad. I have this one listener, Claire. She writes in kind of often. Hey, she Claire. never listens to my advice. She'd be like, this guy won't go down on me because he, and I'll be like, then don't fuck him. And then she's like, well, I'm still gonna. Or they'd be like, oh, this fucking this, uh, <laughs> oh my God, she fuck, uh, she messed around with her ex, recently ex-boyfriend's sister's boyfriend. And I was like, don't do that. It's going to cause a lot of unnecessary drama, and she does it anyway. Uh, but her big thing is like, oh, no, I need to have this sex now. I was like, you don't. Like, it's yeah. going to be bad. It's okay that it's bad. It's supposed to be bad, and it will just get better. But, like, don't freak out over it. So, so I think it doesn't have to be bad. I think, think it's bad because we are so controlled by our hormones, and we have no knowledge of the hormonal implications and what kind of decisions they're prompting us to make. Mm-hmm. I think that when you turn 16, for example, and I give this example to my parents because I, lo- I had my first sexual experience at 16. And my parents found out and they were so pissed. And I said to them like years later, I'm like, were you mad when I started walking? Did you push me down? You looked at it like it's a natural biological development. And this is what the human body is going to be inclined to do at this age. Mm. And at 16, your coccyx fuses together. You now start to get regular pituitary gland. Like your even your period might start to level out. So the drive for penetration mm. just gets so much higher at that place. And if you don't know why you're feeling this way, you think it's love or it's the cosmos or it's meant to be versus like, nah, again, my body's just ready to walk. Mm-hmm. And I want to make better decisions around that. Let me know what works for me. I think you can have a good teen sex life, but you can't do it serendipitously, uh, which is with no education, no right. guidance, no one to talk to, no reliable books and no p- partners who are also on the same education yeah, that's level the problem you. like if you're that's if you're that like sex nerd in high school it's also hard to find it there's usually not another one that you also want to like if there's one it's like you better be attracted to that person because that's the only other one who's going to try hard with you when did sex become great for you like when what age did you feel like 
this is a positive addition to my life. Uh, as soon as someone like wrote a Reddit review about how I did, I was like, oh, I think I'm starting to understand. <laughs> I was like, oh, someone just like decided to write and be like, he was great. You should all message him. I was like, oh, sweet, an endorsement. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's how I view it. No, um, sex started being like more fun for me when I really felt comfortable kind of owning and advocating for myself in a bedroom. And so like, I don't always want to fuck when I go back with somebody or sometimes I'm not in the mood to fuck, but I'm, in, I'm into doing a lot of other things. Um, when I'm with sex nerds works out fine because they're like, they've read the books. They understand that the sex can be a lot of different things. But when I'm with like someone who's really more tapped into the mainstream, hasn't maybe read sex positive materials or anything. They think that is a rejection of her or they think that uh, there's something wrong with me. And I'm just like, no, I just don't feel like doing that. But I would love to like eat your pussy or I would love to like, hey, let's masturbate together. Um, and so it started getting good when I knew that like I'm not weird for not wanting to be a guy who fucks all the time. Yeah. And also being comfortable saying so and like kind of saying that and say like it's I know it's maybe hard. to It's weird to hear a dude's talk about wanting to be able to say no in bed. But like that was a really empowering thing for me when not only I could say no, but I said it confidently. And I knew that if she reacted poorly, it was on her. Yes. So that was me. So, you know, a few years ago, we'll say. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. I mean, and that should be built into basic sex education. Yeah. Consent. Which we don't do any of it. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like the turning point for a lot of people isn't necessarily time. It's education. But so I don't know that it's – so I still view that teen sex will probably be bad and should be bad. But I think it's, it should be a different type of bad. I don't think it should be the – I tons of people who have had really great teen sex. But like was it – like that's my thing. It's like or is it just I think a, that's you a, projecting. I think you're projecting your negative experiences. I didn't have any experiences. So I didn't really get to well, have negative ones. Maybe it's their way of making peace with a lack of experiences. But I know people like mm. who their mom, for example, taught them about masturbation at age mm. six. And so they knew their body. They knew it was okay. They knew it was okay to advocate for their pleasure. They read the books. And by the time they were ready to start engaging with others, they chose good partners and they had experiences that were awesome, consenting. The intent was clear. Mm. And it was like an addition to their life that was positive. I'm not saying they were having 12 orgasms, <laughs> but they were like, that was great. They're having back one. On that. Which They're is, having one. Which is better than like, you know, yes. many adults. You know, I, mean, I think it's it's not like, I don't think I'm projecting. I just have a general condescending disrespect to young people. Okay, I understand. Uh, so this, <laughs> it's part of like, oh, like if you're 16, I'm probably not going to take anything you say seriously. Yes. But don't worry. I'll take it seriously in a few years. Uh, I, I th I'll rephrase. I don't think teen sex is supposed to be bad. I think it's supposed to be clunky. And I would like the education to take a lot of the bad stuff like – non-consensual stuff or miscommunication uh, i would like to take those out and then just like yeah you're gonna have a rough time as you're learning something new like we when you learn anything new so maybe it's i think teen sex should be clunky as we figure out how we move our bodies as but sexual every, beings every new sexual partner should be clunky in that same as aspect even if you're 50 right but you have a few you have a more you have some skill sets when you're going into them at 30 versus when you're 20 versus See, my 15. disagreement with this i guess is that a person in cambodia who's three years old is more versed and more of an expert on cambodia than me at 34 years old mm. and so it's not a matter of age it's just a matter of how long have you been exposed to learning about and asking the right questions so sure. I think that there's some 50-year-olds who have clunkier sex than 16-year-olds who have benefited from a sex-positive parent, mm -hmm. even if like – because it's – yeah, I, I just – I think that there's some teens who can teach a lot of older people a lot of stuff. Well, like the Swedish, like the, the, the Swedes, they like start banging at 13, but like the parents are all cool with it and everyone's fine. And so like I'll respect that. Is that factual? 
I forget if it was, it was one of those North, those like those countries up there, yes. you know, up in the place somewhere. Uh, I could point to it on a map, maybe. Uh, I'm a you know dumb American. Uh, <laughs> so it was like the Swedes or the Danes somewhere up there. They're like really chill with their teenagers having sex, and they teach sex ed, and they tend to be a little bit more experimental with it. So like I'll respect that 18 year old saying like I have good sex now because they've been fucking for five years, as opposed to an American teen who's been like hiding some some uneducated sex for a few years I don't know. yeah i i guess also too i don't know if there's any like statistical correlation between how much sex education here. people learn versus how quickly they start having sex because like again it's mm. like you can teach a kid all you want about walking they're still not going to walk until they're developmentally ready to do so so that's mm. also a big fear too that the more that you expose someone to positive sex ed the sooner they start experimenting well isn't that there's, the big fear of why they don't want to teach sex like, oh if we teach them they'll be fucking yeah exactly and it's i like, would we say know that's bunk. the sex education people probably start having sex a lot earlier where uh the age of consent is less and so when you allow people to have sex with 13 year olds you're going to have more adults who are engaging with 13 year olds so i would say it has less to do with how much education that mm. country is getting and more to do with when do we start saying hey you could start having sex with this person because it's more than likely older people who are taking advantage versus a young person who knows more who's starting to engage before their body's actually ready to do so. Sure. Well, then what were you what were you taught? Now, you're you're from the up north place. I'm from the Canadas. You're from like, you know, uh, America if they got their shit together, uh, yes. but colder. Uh, so you're, you're from up there. Like, what were you taught? What, you said at 16, your parents were not happy. But like, were you taught things? Did you know anything? Did you have to self-teach? Yeah, I went to a Catholic school. So mm-hmm. I did not know much. I thought the clit for sure was inside of the vaginal canal. I thought it was some secret place you had to discover. I had no idea, which is bizarre, though, because I was masturbating, you know, at around 12 years old. Mm. I figured out what worked for me. But I still felt like, no, I watch porn. I've read books. You know, the real orgasm comes from penetration, which that's the experience I sought throughout my teens. And I also looked at sex as currency, as an opportunity to connect with somebody. And if I give you my body, you're going to give me more phone calls or more attention Mm. or more dates. And it's just, it's fool's gold. It's never going to work that way. So I would say I had very poor sex education. My parents did what they could. They were young parents. And Mm. my mom and dad said, if you have any questions, ask. But I have to be implore adults to say, if you don't know what to bring up, if you don't know mm-hmm. how to broach the subject, why do you think that a young person is going to know what to ask? And that's my beef with the – so some of the people who are against sex ed maybe won't be <clears throat> against it from like a moral standpoint. But they'll be like, well, that should be taught at home. That's that's the parents. I was like, I would be okay with that if we had parents who knew anything about sex and sex yes. ed so i was like yeah maybe in 30 years maybe a couple in a generation like maybe in a generation if we are teaching all our kids now sex ed maybe i'll trust those kids to be able to teach their own kids and then maybe we can make it like this optional thing but i think we need to start like we you know be like i want to teach my kid about that i was like yeah but you were never taught so you don't know either exactly so uneducated people point, yeah. you're gonna have that one kid in the class maybe who does have one rock star parent Versus 30 other kids who are just spreading what they saw in porn. And then what do the other parents do? They keep everyone away from the one rock star kid yeah. who's actually going to help their fucking shitty kid. Yes. Um, it's That's probably one of my big soapboxes. Like, and I've been passionate about that since I was like 18 because I didn't have sex at my boarding school. Uh, except they did teach us the statutory rape laws of Connecticut once a year. 
we'd have a dorm meeting with the guys dorm uh and because it was co-ed and pam birch would come in and she would explain that you know the age of consent and she said yes a toe counts and then that was it that's all i got four years i got four meetings what does yes a toe count mean uh somebody my freshman year uh this kid matt prater i'll never forget but he like he was trying to be like a dick but he was just like uh, cause she was explaining what counts as penetration. So he's like, you can't do penetrative acts, um, if you have that age gap. And so he's like, you know, Miss Birchie, does a toe count? What if we do want, what if we want to do a toe? And she's like, yeah, cause that would be counting as penetrating. Oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's all I learned. And then I got have to you college. Have penetrated somebody with your toe? No, no. i you haven't seen my toe. I had a funky toe until two years ago. I didn't. I, <laughs> I I genuinely thought athlete's foot could be cured by peeing on it. I told you, dumb American. Oh. <laughs> um, I believed that. Did it like for a long time. Didn't work. And I didn't realize I could solve it with a pill, and then it cleared up right away. But oh, well I, done. I had a funky toe Shout for like a long time. Shout out to our pharmaceutical sponsor. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so no, I've never towed somebody, but you know, I've seen a video of it. You know, here. Did and you there. have years of athlete's foot? Oh, it wasn't even the whole foot. It was like this one fucking funky toe. And yes, from like. 18 until i think 28 or 29 yeah till like 28 i had this like funky toe a decade i just accepted it it. i just accepted it it's shocking that no woman ever called me out on it like for the amount of people it was like no one was like hey dude what's this about no everyone just like let it be Mm. uh so no i've never told but yeah so that's my past for sex education comes from when i got to college realizing how much i didn't know and it looks like you went in you got to college you're like oh i'm gonna teach myself yes exactly yeah um, what sort of resources did you find when you when you got out of you know high school? I used the Kinsey book, like the the book of sex, Masters and Johnson, read those texts. Mama Gina, she's got the school of womanly arts. She's like books on female sensuality. Are you Googling? Like is that what no, you're doing? Library, Are you asking around? Library back in the day, son. I literally <laughs> spent an entire library, uh entire summer just at the library pulling out books and reading them. So I also couldn't bring them home, so I just spent that, what was that summer. What was that interaction with the librarian? Because like after a while, like you're taking books on the same topic, and she just I mean, I just like really sat and read. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think I just like didn't even leave. I don't remember checking out a ton of the books. Maybe I did as I got a little bolder. I do recall because I started writing my book. No at, paper trail. Smart. No paper trail. <laughs> at around like twenty, maybe I started mm. to actually say I'm going to write a book. My book laid was young people teaching young people oh. because what I had learned is that. Sex education has got great information, but it's boring as fuck. Sure. What's interesting is porn, is movies, and is the stories that my friends tell. So how do I make those resources? Because we all know that sex sells. So they utilize interesting storylines, good-looking people, plot twists. Like mm. So you actually get hooked. And if you learn along the way, great. So I wanted to take that sort of vicarious learner's approach and learning without having to intentionally go pick up Masters and Johnson's Encyclopedia of Sex. And so I wanted to create a format where people were learning factual things but also being entertained. So I started that idea at around 20 years old and that's when I started to bring stuff home. Mm-hmm. And I had this dining room at my parents' house that I would just sit in there for like hours at a time reading and researching and messaging. And I remember my mom just saying like, I knew what you were doing but I never wanted to ask you because I just thought if I just don't acknowledge it, eventually she'll stop and it will go away. Yeah. And so they kind of had this don't ask, don't tell approach to watching me enter into this space and hoping that it was a phase. But, you know, that was 19, now I'm 34. So we're still going. <laughs> it's still a long ass phase. How'd you transfer from like being this like sex geek in the library to like trying to be this like dating geek? 
It seemed like because yes. you were trying, you're not just trying to be like, hey, like I'm great at dating, but like you seem to want to break things down almost scientifically. You want to, you got quizzes, you want some labels, you want some explanations, you want definitions. I want answers, damn it. Yeah, yeah. Like, wait, like how'd that, how'd you kind of transfer into that? Yeah. So I did, uh, when Laid came out, it didn't get published till I was 24. So it took five years to find a publishing company, five years. And when it came out, like to your point, did you write the book first and then shop it. Or did yes. you just have the okay? I wrote the book first. Oof. I had nothing. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a nobody. And this is before like everyone's like self publishing and everything. It, yes, yeah. okay. it was before self publishing. Yeah. So it wasn't really even truly an option at the time. I mean, if it was, it was extremely expensive. Sure. I'm sure now it's a lot more approachable. I think at the time it was like a number I could never come up with on my own. So that came out. And to your point, I didn't start into this viewing myself as a sexual educator per mm-hmm. se. I was just somebody who wanted to bring information from sex educators to the general public i heard you and and i want to hear more about how you got into the more uh, furthering your dating expertise but uh because because that's the interesting thing uh for what we how we treat sex in academia there are you know things you like uh, degrees you can frame that have to do with sex but not with dating yeah uh but uh, i i heard you describe yourself as like a like the walmart welcome greeter and I, I don't use the same analogy, but I view myself as the same way. I'm a dumb comedian with a fuck show. Like, that's all I am. But if I can introduce you yes. to a lot of dope people who can teach you the stuff, like, great. Um, like, so I, I like to think of myself as sex positivity 101. Yes. And I'm going to prep you for like 301 and 401 with like these great educators, you know, and that's. So I, I was like in the car and I just. I'm sorry. <laughs> she, just, <laughs> she just stuck like a piece of tissue in one nostril like she got a bloody nose. Yes, but And just, just casually wearing it. Let's just keep it going. Go you. Tell me. Tell me all the things. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So I, I just like shouted in my car. I was like, yes. Yeah, same. Awesome. Um, But yeah. So wait. So when did you kind of shift into being a dating nerd? Yeah. So I wanted to be when I published my book, all of a sudden I became this voice of um, sex education for millennials. And are you doing the YouTube uh, channel? No, at that I point? hadn't had a okay. YouTube channel at that point. But that's when I started to say, oh, shit, like people were approaching me in the grocery store to tell me about cases of assault or chlamydia. And so I was like, I have to really start to supplement myself with true education and so then i went back to school when someone's like in the dairy hour be like i got chlamydia what do i do yeah exactly. <laughs> like uh go to check out like right, this is not yeah. the place. <laughs> so i just i had to then be like okay cool like let me actually start to validate myself as a true expert as opposed to a journalist because that's what i my first book laid was journalistic right it was me retelling the stories of people in hopes that others could learn from them and me quoting my favorite experts and my favorite educators to bring that information to a more approachable place and so then I started to research more about, okay, how do I make myself and also like an expert in this space so I can provide more factual information while still nodding to people who are doctors, who are researchers. Like I get criticized all the time for the space that I take up, but I always say I'm not competing with your local MD. Mm-hmm. I'm a part of their team. And to your point, the Walmart creator. So anyhow, in doing that work for a number of years, it just came, became apparent to me that I'm not the expert's expert. I am the person who never thought, how can sex education benefit every facet of my life? I am that person's entry point. And through doing that work and being on various TV shows, I recognize that sex is really not the entry point for intimacy for a lot of people. Mm. That's not the first place they go to discover how can, because again, emotional intelligence, learning how to love, learning how to fuck are things that we don't learn about in school. So the real entry point for a lot of people is dating. Mm. It's making connections, period. And then the sex part comes later. So 
I started to add that as a part of my business strategy so I could approach and reach more people. And so now I refer to myself as the Walmart greeter of intimacy. Mm. But but like you had to go through a lot of your own personal dating experiences. Like how do you become the MBA all-star of dating? Because I can't imagine like, you know, you were perfect at dating all your 20s. So like there has to be these clunky experiences, encounters, relationships that were, you know, maybe not great, but that you learn from and improve upon. I wouldn't say that's the thing that I kind of would debate is that like, I don't think a lot of my best lessons come from experience. Uh A lot of the greatest lessons I've learned come from books, come Mm -hmm. from classes. They come from me sitting. Loser. It comes from me being in a a classroom of people and us all discussing a subject and getting different perspectives. Like, because biologically, the kinds of experiences, like you don't learn your best nutritional advice from eating, right? Because what you're drawn to eat naturally probably isn't the healthiest stuff for you. You learn your best nutritional stuff from going to a doctor, from reading, from researching, from watching Netflix documentaries mm-hmm. and being like, shit, I like cereal, but I probably shouldn't eat that shit. Sure. And same with me. From I think the kinds of romantic relationships I was naturally inviting to myself serendipitously, they were teaching me things, but... I didn't need to learn that, hey, being spat on is not cool that, from an experience. Well, yeah. I could have just read that in a book and been like, got it. That's toxic. You know, yeah. like I think a lot of the natural lessons I learned, there's through putting myself out there. So I caution people against experts who are experts just based on anecdotal experiences. Yes. Like, and if can I be real for, with you for one second? I feel so much more comfortable saying this now that I know like how, um, how, how <laughs> like fact based, um, research based that this all was, but. I don't like that either. I wasn't sure if you were one of those. Yes. Because uh, I was like, oh, I wonder what her, like, I wonder what the credentials are and stuff. And then I, you know, I see the degrees. I see that. And you share the books that you've read because that's the thing. It's like, if you're doing it based off that, your personal anecdotal evidence, I mean, that just might be the dating expert, the dating tips for dating you or dating as you. Yes. And that maybe doesn't help most people. And I yeah. think that's how so many fucking books are. Like, I love a book, and I, so I noticed you had Datanomics in there. Yes. Uh, love, love that book. John's been on the show. Cool guy. Um, it's not all one. He's a fucking finance writer. Like, yes. he's not a dating expert. Uh, he's not supposed to be. And his book is Facts. And he's like, here's what I'm reading from some facts. Mm-hmm. Here's some, I crunch some census data. Here's what I'm gleaning from it. And I'm going to supplement it with some anecdotal stuff from people. But like, it, it, you know, it's, it's going to be based in fact. Yeah, the anecdotal is important because that's the human interest is what draws us in. Right. And so I, I use my own experiences to share and tell messages. I, mm. I say this all the time, like, there's a lot of shit out there, out there about me on the internet. But everything that's negative about me, I told you guys. Like, it's not like we discovered this about her. Like, I told you I've had chlamydia before. And I've shared that story because I had a sponsorship from Trojan. It made sense to uh, incorporate that piece of my human interest in there. But that is not – I would not say my greatest education has been my own experience. My greatest education has been talking to people like yourself, Mm. talking to doctors, talking to psychologists. Don't put me in with them. I'm so – I am I learned so much from people. Actually, I was going to do like a post (laughs) more recently about like – like, tell me, because I learned the word chode recently. Oh. I learned about shrimping. I learned so much from people, um, so much more than I would have experienced sure. in my own, you know, breadth of experience. So I think it's massively important to listen to others and to amplify the stories and voices of others, as opposed to just speaking from what you've gone through. Well, as you're reading all these books, like through your 20s, like, are you... Are you applying them to do you did you find yourself actually applying stuff to your dating and relationship? Let me try this method or let me try this. One thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that you found like super, super changed? Uh maybe like an inflection point in your dating life. Like there like some sort of knowledge you gleaned from a book that you were like, 
that changed how I dated. Yeah, the book, The Science of Happily Ever After, it's mm-hmm. written by Dr. Tai Toshiro, probably made the mass, most, most biggest impact on me. The Social Animal by David Brooks, another book that made a massive impact on me. Um, and both of those books are, are cited in my book, The Game of Desire. Mm. Because, and that's why I get the question sometimes from people are like, how is your book better than other dating books? And I was like, I wouldn't that use That was the, a question I had in my head. I wouldn't use the B word because I would say that it's an accumulation of the things that I've learned and the book is anecdotal. I worked mm. with six women and so it's me taking As Dr. Like Tai coach? Toshiro's, yes. Okay. It's me taking his information, imparting it on them and then giving them an actionable way to apply it to their lives and seeing how that works. So I'm not competing with these books. I'm utilizing their research, their expertise, their doctorates, and I'm making it so the average person now knows how to interact with it. Wow. Could have used this a while. So I started this show a little over five years ago, um, talking to women I've hooked up with about sex dating and why we didn't work out because uh, women would sleep with me, but they wouldn't date me. I want to find out why. Mm. And maybe instead of starting a podcast, if you had done your book a little sooner, yes. <laughs> I could have gone and had a normal internet experience instead of putting yes. my life on the internet. Well, what out. happened? What did you learn? Uh, it tended, I think one of the common things was ti- the earliest lesson I learned was just like timing. I was 24 when this started. So it was like, yeah, just chill the fuck out. It'll happen. Um, so timing. Uh, I also am condescending to younger partners. Um but I also don't typically like dating younger, but that's just what would end up happening. Empathy is definitely a thing I've been learning both through like listening in the conversations and applying them to my the relationships I've had since starting this. We, we're learning. I love that learn. My mom used to actually give me this quote all the time growing up that I live by, which is, you're never wrong for how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I've recently, probably in the last five years, been like, that's a fucking lie. I'm wrong for how I feel all the time. And, you know, right or wrong, of course, is um, like a debatable topic. But ultimately, sometimes your feelings are not a reflection of reality. They're a reflection of your projections. They're a reflection of what you ate this morning. There's many different things that actually contribute to your mood or how you interpret a certain event. So I don't trust my feelings. I don't. No, please. No, please. No, go ahead. No, no, you please. No. (laughs) No, you please. You please me. I'll please you. It's fine. Which is is something I thought was like, you know, in all your reading, like when you would – when you're learning these new skill sets, when you're learning new things, are you thinking ever – were you ever thinking back to old relationships that maybe could have panned out better had you had these tools and that other person maybe had some other tools? Yeah. Well, it's sort of similar to what you did. So mm-hmm. in the book, the book is a five-phase strategy. And phase one is to know yourself. And mm-hmm. know is all these nerdy-ass quizzes. Um, and it's like it, – I actually have a free workbook online. I know you do, and I took a look, and it looks great. It's just whenever you say the the, the quizzes, and when I, I listen to you like on another podcast, and I was like, I just always think to the back of the magazine quiz, yeah, which I take which, less seriously. But those I, are somewhat. I guess what it is because here's the thing: I can talk to you about it. I recognize theory. yours are are better, more mature than say a, a Cosmo quiz. Yeah, but like when you say like personality quizzes? quiz, I think Cosmo quiz. I don't. <laughs> I wouldn't even use the B word because it may not be better. It's okay. just what are. Here's the thing: language is massively important. Mm-hmm. You ask me, what are my pronouns? What's my sexual orientation? What's my relationship status? If I don't know the words to describe that, we end up in a long, nuanced conversation that hopes you'll understand that I'm trying to say I'm married. But right. there's no word for marriage. And so I like quizzes because it leaves you with a clear takeaway and a word you can utilize and mm-hmm. say from now on, hey, just so you know, I'm a little avoidantly attached. So when I get emails like this from a partner that seem needy, it triggers me to say this person wants more than I can provide. And it actually causes me to want more separation from you, which is counterproductive to your goal. Get the fuck out of my head. 
<laughs> right. But <laughs> that's you, everything that ran through my head this morning. Well, there you go. So the, the having the word avoidant is less important because you are multifaceted, incredible. There's so many, so many stories to you. When you go to a grocery store, a Fuji apple is not a Fuji apple. It has a story. It came from a certain country. It's shaped differently. It looks differently. But the word Fuji is there just for fast consumption. Mm. So you don't have to spend an hour looking at every single apple in the pile to guess which one you might want to interact with. So I like quizzes only because language is a very big, important qualifier for communication. Mm. And as we know, communication is the most important part of any relationship. But we have to have shared language in order to communicate. We have to have a word sure. for something. So I know it sounds hokey as fuck. And if <laughs> going to a Cosmo quiz allows you to come away and say that, like, I love the website, oh my gosh, yes.com, mm. because it gives women nine different ways to describe how they orgasm. So if doing a Cosmo quiz, you come away and say, I like orbiting. What's orbiting? That means that direct clitoral stimulation is too much for me. It actually is painful. Well, I got to write this one down. I for need sure. you to go around. <laughs> I need to around. I need to the left or to the right because once you're on the clit, it actually Too hurts. Much, yeah. Right. So yeah. if you don't have the word, you're like, I don't know. It's just that like sometimes like if you're just like be a little off or on, but like don't be off and on. I just please just like you fucking suck in the bedroom, you know, <laughs> rather than having a just I just that's why I like them. So anyways, once you know who you are and you have the language, describe it. So to do this, I always do this exercise. People I say, describe how I can make the perfect cup of coffee or tea for you. Mm. Tell me. Uh, I don't. I don't. I, I give me a diet Pepsi. <laughs> well, you got you got coffee right here. I got a tea in there. Okay, but that's so just... tell me about it. If I if you said to me, make me a coffee or tea, how sure. can I do it so that Billy's gonna love this cup of tea? Oh God, I'm very boring. Uh, give me some hot water and put the tea bag in the thing. And like, if we're fancy, throw a lid on there. Throw a lid on and there, and that's like. But you got two bags, so you like your tea heavily brewed. Uh, I didn't. I, I didn't ask her to do that. She just did it. Uh. I think it's because I ordered a large. I've yes. never, I've honestly never ha- been double bagged before. First time experience for me. Uh, and I'm really feeling it because the green tea. <laughs> good for you. Because if I was to go to a place, I would say I'm getting a large, but please put the second bag on top because mm-hmm. I don't like the concentration of two bags. Sure. Anyhow, you're an awful example of this, but most <laughs> people will say like it's 180 degrees. I need soy milk. I need it steeped five times exactly. Like we know really the clear right. and you can understand the language. Mm. And if I was to communicate to you in return, how do I like to be loved or yeah. who who am I in a loving relationship? All of a sudden, the language gets very vague and we start pulling upon cliches like, I like space and communication and cupcakes. I like hugs. I also like, you know, walks. And now you're like this weird roadmap that actually doesn't lead to what exactly I'm looking for. So that's the purpose of language, just same way you can create language to communicate how someone can effectively make a meal for you or make a cup of coffee or tea for you. But after you do the knowing part, because the mirror cannot see itself, Mm -hmm. you need advanced feedback from others. And so in the book, I had everyone go back to an ex and ask, hey, how did I come up short in our romantic connections? It's not about closure. It's exactly what you did. Who'd you hit up? I hit up my ex um, who I called Mark in the book. Okay. And Mark is somebody who ghosted me and I went nuts. Like I'm an internal nuts where I never like reached out to him per se, but I remember just feeling so up here. It was a war zone. And I wrote so many angry emails and angry messages and all of the above. And it was so hard for me to understand why this person extricated themselves from my life when I saw them as a potential life partner. And I learned some really interesting things. What did you learn? He said that one thing that I did do is I had other 
romantic partners as options because there was this fear that he didn't see me in that way. Mm-hmm. But me having these other romantic partners as options and making it known to him actually was a self-fulfilling prophecy because he never saw me as a serious person because I always seemed to have other people around. And people see uh, non-monogamy as non-serious. Yes. And especially at the time, and we were much younger. And I think that he, he I believe he's married now. So I'm sure he's a monogamous person. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know. Also, I... um use humor a lot so he didn't see me as somebody who could have an emotionally intelligent conversation Mm. he looked at me as somebody whom like wasn't really serious number one and two was too blunt so he described me as raw he's like you're a really blunt raw person i just didn't look at you as somebody who could show up for me in an emotionally vulnerable way but those were also defense mechanisms i was doing because i didn't want to talk about feelings with the guy that i wasn't sure felt the same way about me so I feel like a lot of the ways I was trying to protect myself, I was actually pushing this partner away. He also said I had BO sometimes. So <laughs> that was like, oh, noted. I still have that problem to this day. So good to know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's wild. Is there, And is there anyone else that like now that you have all these tool sets, you think back be like, I wish I could have a do-over with these skills? Yeah. It- 100%. I think also too, like at a certain place, like – when I got once I got better at talking about feelings mm. and I wanted to do it all the time, but I refer to this like in the book I did a date with a girl um, whom I was sat behind her and like did cue cards. I, I read that and, and that I got that excerpt which ridiculous. I love. The only reason I did it with her in specificity is because she had the problem that I used to have, wherein that she was if she was making spaghetti she was all noodles and no sauce. Like she had, or maybe a little bit of sauce. She had all the ingredients there, but the proportions were wrong. So with an X I used to have, because I was like really excited to talk about emotional vulnerability. And this is a new skill that I now had. Yeah. And I failed a previous relationship because I wasn't emotionally vulnerable enough. Now I overcompensated. And I remember crying on the first date. And it was just too mm. much, too soon. I was trying to dive into him too much. Like I was like, you know, sort of a pop psychologist mm. where we were talking about like his step parents and feeling left out of the family. And he just be like, I just want to talk about popcorn and orgasms. Yeah. I don't want to get into this heavy <laughs> conversation, but I was constantly trying to create this like emotional vulnerability yeah. and I lost the fun. So I just feel like with him, I wish I could go back in time and be like, okay, let's balance this out a little bit. I've got podcast episodes like that. Where I'm like, oh, let's get deep. And there's like, I just, I, I had this, um, <laughs> this porn star, uh, Rob Piper on where I was like, I wanted to try to get something deeper out of him, but he kind of just wanted to like talk about like, I used to play football. Now I fuck for a living. Yeah. And I was like, oh, was, there's got to be more to it. Yeah. He's like, nah, man. I, you know, tore my ACL and was like, what could I do now? Oh, I could fuck. Mm. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, no, I, that's a similar thing. That's why. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, maybe there is more to the story, but that present time, he doesn't deem you, you know, trustworthy enough to divulge that mm. or two, just not in the mood, but also too, maybe perhaps by giving the light and the fun that you can get to that. So I feel like I've become a better listener Mm. where I'm actually not just going in with a plan of here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to show up. I'll read the temperature of the person, see what they're looking for, and then create a game plan based on that. Fantastic. Well, Shan, I so so your website has the, uh, all these quizzes, these free quizzes people can take. Which I'm converting you. I feel I'm, like it. Look, I feel it. I was, I was wondering, are you down to do a little bonus episode? I want to take – I don't think I have game. I do not th- – that's the quiz that stood out to me, the do you have game quiz. Oh. I was wondering if you'd be down to maybe like on a Patreon bonus episode, maybe uh, help me take that quiz. I would love to. Okay, let's do that. So for the, all you $5 and up uh, members on Patreon, that's going to come out tomorrow. 
okay, over at patreon.com slash podcast. But for now, Shan, where can people go find you, uh, get your book, learn more about you? I believe you get one wish. And so I'm not giving my social media. I'm just going to say support the game of desire. If you go to Audible and you don't have Audible yet, get it on a free trial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you can get those two free books and cancel membership. And you didn't pay nothing to support your girl. Mm-hmm. So that's the game of desire wish. and laid. Yeah, yes. Well, you know, fuck oh. Laid. It's oh. over. I mean, you get one wish. I love Laid, sure. but I'm well, not. Well, you said two books. I was like, oh, all right. Okay. Thought. Oh, you know what? Oh, yeah. Respect. That's okay. what you said, yeah. Yes. <laughs> what Billy said. <laughs> okay. So go uh, check out The Game of Desire. And uh, is it thegameofdesire.com? Or... Yes. All right. Well, fantastic. Everyone, go check that out. Get the book. Uh, learn some things. And uh, Patreon people, we'll see you tomorrow. But for now, I want to say goodbye to everybody. In your, in your not too nasally, but still kind of sick with one nostril plugged up <laughs> Uh, voice shout out to all the man and woman horrors of the world <laughs> this has been an episode with shambooty thank you for listening she ain't shadow band all right everybody did you enjoy that chat i hope you did let me know what you thought about this week's show i am on twitter at the billy Presida. you can also comment on this episode on my instagram at billy is Presida, or in our episode comment thread on the Man Whore Podcast Facebook fan page. Want to send something directly to me? You can send your comments, questions, boobies over to manwhorepod at gmail.com. For more information on the Brooklyn Sex Expo or my Swap Behind Bars letter writing event, check out the show notes of this week's episode. I've got those show notes in there for a reason. I promise there's stuff in there you might need and want. Oh, also, lastly, you know, you re- remember I was uh, selling those Lilo vibrators, those Lilo Islas? Yeah, they retail for like $180. Right now, I still have a few left. I think I have four or five left. And they, you can get one from me right now for just 80 bucks plus shipping. That's a huge discount for a quality vibrator from Lilo. Uh, shoot me an email if you're interested in one of those. They're going to be first come, first served will be the first to come. Next week, we've got fellow stand-up comedian Sam Morrison, fresh off his Edinburgh debut with his one-man show, Hello Daddy. That's a that's going to be a really fun one. And then also, we've got a free bonus episode coming out on Patreon on Tuesday with Melissa Vitali, my former publicist. We're talking a lot about the drama. We're talking about people who hate me on the internet. So, like... That's one you probably really want to listen to or one you might be tired of. But that comes out on Tuesday exclusively on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash podcast, Click follow. It is free to do. You don't have to put down a credit card and they'll send you an email when the, the free episodes are out. Uh, next week, action packed. A lot of fun stuff. Till then, everybody, don't get shadow banned and stay slutty. <laughs>
So I started to think maybe I'd start contributing once I finished all the free episodes. I really like the podcast, and there's tons of bonus content that I'd be willing to pay for. I can contribute when I'm ready to benefit directly from it. A bit selfish still, maybe, but true. And then last week, I turned on episode 161. For those of you who haven't heard or don't remember, Billy opens this intro in tears, talking about how he just finished the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why. The show's about a teenage girl who committed suicide. Billy poured his heart out about how he spent his teenage years being bullied, struggling with thoughts of suicide, and about how he barely made it out alive. This is when I realized I had to support this guy in the work that he does. Not because I felt bad for him, but because I, too, have struggled with those thoughts since I was 11 years old. I don't often cry, but Billy had me bawling like a baby as I remembered all the times as a teen I came so close to just ending it all. I support the Man Whore podcast because Billy Proceda does great work. I joined because this is a man who bears his entire soul unabashedly and with brutal honesty to thousands of listeners for free. He has a passion for spreading sex positivity, self-acceptance, and love. In whatever little way I'm able, damn it, I want to be a part of that. The Patreon's awesome too, guys. There's tons of great pictures, insider news, and fucking awesome bonus episodes. Billy makes sure to give his supporters something back on a regular basis, which not nearly enough Patreon creators do. Billy cares about what he does, and he cares about his listeners. He has a message and a mission, and they need to be heard. That is why I support the Man Whore Podcast.